When it comes to healthcare in the United States, trust is often in short supply. How does a healthcare leader ensure that their company, their product, their service earns trust? And how can a leader build trust amongst employees, many of whom are millennials? We're looking at populations of millennials now, really, who are motivated by very different things to what I was motivated in the 80s when I graduated, where it was all greed is good and money, <laughs> etc. But it's around having a sustainable purpose about bringing something back to society, the VU social enterprise, the ability to work flexibly. Joe Pisani is a leader with the UK Pharma and Life Sciences Consulting Practice at PricewaterhouseCoopers. Pisani believes trust and cost are two constant challenges for any healthcare leader. Hi, this is Irene Silver with the Vanguard Network. Joe Pisani recently sat down with Ken Banta, the founder and principal of the Vanguard Network, to talk about trust and cost and the digital revolution happening in healthcare. Joe, uh, let's start with the role of uh data and technologies in uh, helping to uh, perhaps increase the effectiveness and the and perhaps the and reduce the cost of uh, of the life sciences yeah sure can i mean certainly i believe digital data and analytics accompanying those can really address some of the three key levers that can change the value proposition within life sciences really enabling patient engagement actually measuring and demonstrating real world outcomes and actually moving the needle from really therapies to actually prevention and disease awareness so it ticks all those boxes but nonetheless has as issues along the way so with digital you think about the prevalence of digital acquisition of data be it through wearables clinical records etc but also digital as a means of intervention and actually delivering patient centered care that suits people individuals at the same time through that process you're generating loads of data and thinking about the, the promise of data both from tuning and R&D programs um fine tuning the patient proposition but also measuring outcomes in the real world that then can actually feed uh the 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 payment for drugs and reimbursement models as well and then on top of that laying analytics be it machine learning uh, and crunching loads of numbers to improve discovery um efficiencies or is it more also moving to self learning systems pattern neural networks those sorts of areas to actually pinpoint areas of unmet need um and linking with behavioral patients as well so a very exciting area ken mm-hmm. and um in a way what you've uh, painted uh, perhaps is one aspect of how leaders uh, today at the top of these industries can earn trust with uh, uh society but um when you look at it from a different perspective and you were advising a uh, an incoming leader of a uh, healthcare company about the biggest risks for trust and uh, relationships with society what would it what would they be yes and i think you know particularly in this area trust is absolutely key um if you look at people's personal health data that has a certain sensitivity around it um unlike losing your credit card data say in the cloud and being hacked you can always change your credit card number you can't actually change your dna profile that's up there in the cloud um and in fact it doesn't just affect your own health risk but also potentially those of your descendants so it's got a certain sensitivity around it and i think actually that sensitivity has been heightened recently particularly with gdpr which has been in place for coming up to 6 months now Where, where companies have to report very quickly their data losses so you've he- heard you know 
credit card numbers being lost, social network data being lost, those things are reported very, very, in a very timely manner because they have to, because the fines are significant. And I think that's really heightened public sensitivity. So I think one thing from the trust perspective is being absolutely inherent about the trust, about people's use of data, making sure it's secure from a cyber perspective. And also from a patient view, we feel you need to have that feedback loop. If I as a patient donate my data, for me I'd like to know how that's being used. Have I shaved X months off a clinical trial because I've been happy to share my data? And that also makes the virtuous circle. And to make that work, you need trust. Mm -hmm. It raises the uh, question, um, are there some sectors or companies uh, that seem to be doing a good job at this? Uh, you mentioned, for example, the sharing of data back to the patient. Uh, or the individual, is that something that's happening or is that something that should be happening? Mm. I, th I see it happening in pockets, actually. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's fascinating about this area, Ken, is you've got people coming at it from different angles. So you've got the traditional life sciences players becoming more digital and data aware, but also you've got the technology players as well mm -hmm. coming through into this space. Um, and I think most interestingly are the ones who actually provide virtual healthcare systems. Mm. Um, there's a number of those um, in the UK um, and in, in the US for instance, which actually enable remote consultations. So you as a patient, you log on to an app, you can actually go through a th series of questions in terms of diagnosing with the disease, and then you actually come up with a clinical intervention, which is a real person. But along that way, you're sharing data. A lot of that decision-making is done by robotics. So these are chatbots behind this, which mm -hmm. help you work out your symptoms, etc. So then they can target and focus the clinical intervention that you might have, which is when you speak to a real person. Some of these companies are also working on facial recognition type software. So at the same time, the bots can actually analyze your facial expressions, see the level of anxiety that you have about your particular condition. So I think they're very interesting. And the fascinating ones there, I think, have a strong purpose, which is around improving patient outcomes. And I think it's the whole thing. If you've got that clarity of purpose around that, you can actually bring the complex network of stakeholders, health service systems and patients along board with you, as well as investors, to actually have a viable proposition. And that might bring us to uh, a final topic, which is related, which is the cost of healthcare. One view would be that uh, you keep adding and adding uh, therapeutic options and resources and services, and there is a unlimited appetite, but a totally limited budget. On the other hand, is there another way? Is there another way to look at it in which uh, the new uh, opportunities for healthcare can somehow be balanced by savings and cost? Mm, yeah, and absolutely, Ken. And you, you're right. I mean, we've had fantastic technological developments, which mean a lot of these very disease-modifying therapies are now within our grasp, such as CAR T, but come at a cost. And you're looking at five hundred thousand pounds per patient within that. I'm a very strong believer that you can create headroom within really um, finite therapeutic budgets to support those new innovations coming through. So, for instance, in the UK, the total drugs budget is about £18 billion. If you were to look at that overall and say effectively, is this effective use of that, of that budget or not? Should you actually have more delisting of ineffective drugs? Should you have more proactive switching to generics or indeed biosimilars? And therefore, what would you do with what's left? And some of the big levers you can do, particularly in, in cancer, is focus on prevention, disease awareness, early intervention through, through surgery and, and cheap means before then you start escalating the therapeutic areas. So that means you, you can actually save the headroom for some of those more expensive therapies. 
A lot of healthcare systems work on annualised budget setting. So again, you've got a fair degree of freedom if you do that within one year, looking at that budget. But if you think of what you can release in terms of value, if you look at, look at it over three years or five years, for instance, and take a multi-year, you've got a lot more sort of degrees of freedom with which you could work within that. And that means collaboration. Collaboration between the healthcare systems, the drug companies, also medical device and digital, as well as the data providers along it, to really have that systems-wide approach in terms of containing and having best use of, of constrained drug budgets. And that raised uh, just one last uh, question uh, in my mind about leadership. Uh, when you look at that as the requirement, what do you see as the most important characteristic of uh, new incoming top leaders, whether they might be in health systems or in biopharma or med tech? Is there mm. some uh, core quality that you might look for uh, for success? <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting one, actually, Ken, because I, I speak quite passionately about this as well. I suppose, given just the dynamic nature of the environment, the different levers that are there, and the whole acceleration in terms of market opportunity, along with new entrants coming in, a lot of what's required is agility. And I think it's having the boldness to understand which issues here do we want to shape, which ones do we want to react to as almost a fast follower, and which ones do we just really want to be entirely responsive to as they come through? And that's particularly in areas like government affairs. So you feel you see some leaders, because it suits their company, their purpose, and their particular areas of strategic development, really want to go out and shape policy. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also having that conscious decision of shaper, follower, entirely reactive. And also bringing the organisation along with you. Um, and again, we had a discussion downstairs about, you know, it's, it's a, it's, we're looking at populations of millennials now, really, who are motivated by very different things to what I was motivated in the 80s when I graduated, where it was all greed is good and money, <laughs> etc. But it's around having a sustainable purpose about bringing something back to society, the VU social enterprise, the ability to work flexibly. Also recognising that those populations are very mobile, we're not really talking about a career for life within one company, which in fact a lot of the leaders, the, the senior leaders today have experienced. But some of these people coming through are really assembling portfolio careers right from the get-go and looking for the right experiences, environments and social interactions that they have to help them on that journey. That was Joe Pisani, a healthcare strategist with PwC, speaking with Ken Banta of the Vanguard Network. Podcasts like this are just one of the membership benefits of the Vanguard Network, which organizes events, publishes content, and connects C-suite leaders. Our mission is building high-performance leadership. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our website, thevanguardnetwork.com. I'm Irene Silber. Thanks for listening.